0: I think the best thing you can do is go and watch people live to you know, piggyback on that Villanova stuff. I've watched them two or three times live and you leave there like blown away. I couldn't even tell you a single drill we stole from those workouts. It's just the way they do everything is like unbelievable. Welcome to Slapping Glass,
1: where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of Merrimack College, Joe Gallo. Coach Gallo is here today to discuss the fundamentals of winning at both the Division I and II levels, a complete breakdown of his 2-3 zone defense, and we talk paint touches and post-game speeches during a new segment of Over or Under. Listeners of the podcast can now receive 10% off a membership to Slapping Glass Plus by entering the code SG10 during sign up. This gives complete access to over 275 detailed breakdown videos, the premium Sunday morning newsletter, a private Coach's Corner community, and more. Visit slappingglass.com and enter SG10 to receive the discount today. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Joe Gallo.
0: Your name kind of popped out to me because that's that's all I could do. I was lucky if I can get some foam on like the bigger backboard, <laughs> So I appreciate the slapping glass.
1: <laughs> that's right. About the highlight of my career as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so interested to hear your thoughts on transferring from a very successful division two program to what already a very successful <laughs> division one program and what is carried over from a winning standpoint like what wins at the division two level that's the same that you've taken to the
0: division one level well first off we were you know pretty well Funded Division Two program and played in a very good league with you know guys who by the time they're junior seniors are Division One players. So the timing of it was great because it was my fourth year, which meant that the first group of guys that I recruited were seniors. So they they were in the program for four years. So we did have three guys that were basically four year starters that kind of were the rock of that first year in Division One. But even going into that. You know, it was the first year we got to have summer workouts, right? It was a big summer for us leading into that first Division One season. All we really talked about is just worrying about ourselves and being the best trained team at what we do. And, you know, we obviously play the zone that we're going to talk about. And we run a lot of two-guard stuff on offense. And I think what wins is just being the best version of yourself, you know, worrying about you, you know, even as we get into scouting you know we scout our opponent for about a day and a half we don't spend four or five days breaking down film with the team and that was what we really harped on just be the best trained team at what we do and you know we play stonehill last year who wears purple and we're going to play northwestern next year who wears purple and you know the guys might be a little bigger but you know the way we want the game to kind of play out to our style is, is going to be the same
2: coach are there certain things that maybe you could get away with at the division two level that at the division one you can't that requires you to be better at
0: yeah you you know, I, w- where we had to really be careful and we learned our lesson early is we didn't get as much easy transition stuff, especially at the rim. So if you look at the numbers, we turn people over a ton and we get a lot of steals and you learned in those first couple of games, you can't just get a turnover and, and go and expect to not get tracked down from behind and a little more length. So we talk a lot more about, we still like to break, you know, so one of the better things we do is score and transition like most people, but you know, our first key every game is break responsibly because we don't want to get into as much of an up and down game right now as we were willing to do in, in division two the possessions you know there were some more possessions we were equal or bigger than most teams that we played we were equal or more athletic than most teams we played so a missed transition opportunity here or there wasn't as big of a deal where i think a block or a mislayup in transition that's highly contested usually ends up being a dunk on the other end in division one
2: and quickly just what do you mean by break responsibly i guess what is like the cutoff between like pull that out or no take it
0: a lot of that is really conversation between coaches and point guard and put a lot on them. You know, we almost always outlet, you know, unless it's a no brainer, pick six, steal layup, you know, we're almost yeah. always outletting for our one. And a lot of time is just kind of pointing things out in practice, going over film, you know, go. You have the green light to go. I don't want you ever saying, Oh, this is crazy. We gotta walk the ball up the floor, you know, no one wants to play that way. So we kind of put it on him and we tell him really, don't give it up unless someone's taking a shot is kind of our rule with him. You know, if you can get someone a three, if you can get someone a light, up, if you yourself can kind of get by and get in the lane and get a layup if not we're fine with we tell them don't feel like you're over dribbling if you have to gnash it and dribble 50 times just to get us organized we'll take that over a, a bad transition possession
1: coach last kind of question in this area before we start turning to the zone stuff you being a younger head coach and you were even younger when you first took over ways that you were able to build trust and confidence from your players that you know weren't
0: so much younger when you first started out and into now what are ways that you do that? The first thing is you got to be extremely prepared. You know, especially when you have a, a new group of guys that know nothing of you or about you or you personally at all. So I think going into every workout, going into every practice, organized. So they look and go, oh, maybe you know these guys do know what they're talking about. You know, being the same person every day, treating these guys, you know, almost like a big brother to them. You know, we we have fun. You know, we play music at practice. I always tell these guys, I want the gym to be a safe place. You know, we're gonna work hard, but you know, I don't want them ever thinking like, oh man, coach is around. I gotta to- Tiptoe this line here. What you see from treating guys that way is you end up having guys coming back more and more to the gym, and you know, spending more time doing extra stuff because it's a place they enjoy. So, you know, it's just trying to make it fun. You know, I always, you know, people ask what's your style, and I always say much more Steve Kerr than Bob Knight. <laughs> we try to enjoy ourselves, but it's never at the expense of not working hard.
1: Awesome. Well, Coach, we'd love to turn now to some zone. Some we're both excited to talk to you about and have been for a while. So we've been digging into watching a lot of the film and there's a lot in here. So want to start though more philosophically and just your thoughts on why you're a, a zone guy, why you believe in it so much, where it came from, maybe the roots of it.
0: I spent four years as an assistant with Andy Toole at Robert Morris, who was always a, and, and still is now back as good of man-to-man teacher as I've been around. And we had, I think it was year two, 2013, 2014-ish. And it was right around the time where like You couldn't bump cutters anymore and you couldn't put your hands on anyone. And we had a tough time adjusting to that early on and fouling a ton. And the season did not start the way it was planned out. You know, I think we might've been two and six at the time and give Andy credit. He was kind of just racking his brain. I remember we lost to Youngstown state. I believe we were back in the office and the guy was a mutual friend of ours by the name of RC Kehoe. He was the head division two coach at Holy family in Philly. And I think he had some Syracuse ties. He was a friend of Mike Hopkins and he played this. Syracuse two, three zone. And, you know, Andy said, let's get RC on the phone. Let's talk about some of the slides and maybe figure out this is something that'll work for us. And we had a week uh, in between games. We were playing Toledo I think we lost on a Friday, We weren't playing again until the next Friday. And we put this thing in and kind of half knew what we were doing. And it was trial and error and lost to Toledo by two who came in the undefeated, really good team. The reason we lost is we couldn't guard horns at the time and we couldn't guard baseline out of bounds. They probably had 16 points on those two things alone. But overall, it really worked for us. And we stayed through it the rest of that year and ended up being regular season champs in the NEC. And then we played it the whole next year and we were conference tournament champs. And Andy has since gone back. But I just loved it. We'd split up guards forwards. I always had the forward end of the court. And I thought it was, you know, the way my brain worked, it was much simpler to teach than man to man. There's not a whole lot of gray area. You know, I think people are scared to teach zone because it's like, whose fault is it? we always know whose fault it is. You know, we do it after every game I, I go through and I, these are the actions that scored and these are whose fault it was. Right. And you have games where there's a guy on your team that, he gave up 18 points because of his responsibilities and you know nobody likes to be told that to the naked eye. It's easy to say when a guy scores 30 on a guy in man to man, oh, he gave up 30. I think there's more gray area in that versus we know, you know, if the ball's on the wing and it gets swung to the top and that guy makes a three, well, the opposite guard, that's three on your head count. So I, I love that. I love the accountability piece. And then when I got my own job, I just wanted to be a little bit different. The Northeast 10 is a kind of a cookie cutter league, a lot of switching man to man a lot of motion, good shooting, which people thought that we were crazy for playing zone, but it actually had the effect that we wanted to have. And we just wanted to be different. The plan at first was maybe to play it half and half. And then we had, again, we had success early and we just stayed with it and kind of the rest is history, but it evolves, you know, it's, there's the basic slides and then there's, you know, I have a, a board behind me, actually in front of me that has, Probably 25 different things that we check off when we put them in and when we work on them. And a lot of them are named, you know, the Adelphi overload because Adelphi burned us on some weak side overload stuff that we may not have seen before. The Tim Gears drive is a really good player at St. Anselm and he would knife through the middle of our zone and spray it opposite. So now we have to kind of shell the Tim Gears drive. And, you know, after four or five years of game, there's really not much that we haven't seen at this point.
2: Coach. As you've taken your zone and you've worked on it, what is it that you're looking to take away? What are you willing to give up? Kind of what's the goal of every possession with your zone?
0: Uh, Shot clock violation. Yeah. (laughs) As crazy as it sounds, we're literally trying to not let you shoot the ball. Okay. And byproduct that ends up being a lot of rushed two-point shots, like everybody, right? No threes, no layups, tough twos. But is that just a sign on the wall or are you really drilling it? Are you really holding your guys accountable? Like when someone just shoots a three, you'll see a young guy kind of look at me over the bench like, oh shit, that was my fault for letting him even shoot that ball. And I bet we probably do lead the country in, in shot clock violations. We get a whole lot of them because in chasing guys off the line, you're forcing them to take a shot that now every coach is telling you you're not allowed to take. Right. And we always have built in rim protection, right? There's nothing you can really do. You know, you could do some things in man to man and Uh, lift guys and kind of tamper with the weak side to kind of get guys out of the hole you really can't get our five men out of the hole until it goes to the high post so we naturally always have rim protection we're arriving on every catch super aggressive getting guys off the line and then we're putting it on you do you want to take that pull up under duress that your coach told you you're not allowed to take is
2: every three treated equal are there three pointers spots on the court where you're willing to live with or is it we want to run them off the line everywhere
0: we run them off the line everywhere. And to be honest, we treat almost everybody the same. Okay. Right. We have our elite guys that, you know, we may chase them all the way out to half court or so. For the most part, we're staying in the NBA three. We call that our rank, right? We don't want to get too extended because then it's too easy to kind of throw over the top of us. We play so high up. Yeah. We're pretty exposed on the backside if we get too extended. But even non shooters, we just think anybody could throw one in. Right, a guy that shoots thirty-one and a guy that shoots thirty-six, you know, that's five more makes on a hundred attempts. To us, you know, we don't want anybody taking threes. Um, it happens all the time. Where, like, late clock, a guy banks in a three from the top of the key, right? And it's like, well, if you didn't let him shoot it, it wouldn't have went in. I don't really care that it banked or all oh, that was bullshit, coach. He banked it. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you weren't supposed to let him shoot it. So our whole philosophy is don't let the three get off. You know, I think it reflects in, in the numbers.
1: Coach, one more philosophical one for me. You know, so many zones are more soft, passive, sit back, pack it in, make them shoot threes over the top. Why did you go the other way with how you run your zone and be more aggressive, steals, not let them shoot threes?
0: Everybody wants to shoot the three now we love playing teams that could really shoot it and that take a lot of threes. The first thing I do is we have so-and-so coming up Thursday and I look up Monday and go, oh, this team takes 29 threes a game. This is great because they're probably only going to get about 18 off. And now they're going to struggle with playing a different game than they're used to playing. So it was more just evolving towards like the math side of things, the analytic side of things is everybody wants the three. So we're going to... Try and not let you have the three. A byproduct of the aggressiveness came the steals. You know? Now we also, in Ford's full disclosure, our steals were down a little bit. We graduated the all-time steal leader in the history of college basketball at any level. So <laughs> he fit really well into, into what we did and he made the steal part of it better. But even this year, I think we were top 25 in steal percentage and probably top 50 in turnover percentage in the country. And that year before, I think we were one in steal percentage and you know, top five or top 10 in turnover percentage. Yeah, Kind of a tough area to be in, right? You chase a guy off the line, he puts it down hard. He's kind of looking around. You know, we have spots we get to when you drive the ball. We don't rally to the ball, right? Once you kind of break our first line, now you're almost playing one-on-one with our five. So, you know, guys get in there, they leave their feet, they go to spray it out. Well, that's where our guards are getting outside to take away kickouts. So, you know, everything is... You know, on all our punctures, short corner, high post, penetration, our job of our guards is really to, to get out and take away any spray outs. So guys get in there and they kind of struggle to where to go with the next play.
2: Coach, and I think that's a leads naturally into what me and Dan noticed watching the film and hearing you talk now. And it's something you sent us was, I think, one of your mantras is to see the next play and how you guys get these steals and how your guards are so good at fanning out. How do you build or practice that mentality of see the next play of being so good in center field, but you guys never look like you're out of control. Like you're just lunging everywhere, you know?
0: Yeah. Organized chaos a little bit. Yeah. Initially it's all just the basic slides, right? And one thing you'll almost never get against us is just a, swing three, mm-hmm. right? If you're like, we're going to have that cover. point to wing, our forwards are high, back to top, back to wing, back to top, right? So that's kind of week one, right? Is the initial slides. After that, we know how we're going to be attacked is with all those different punctures, right? Throw it in to throw it back out. So we spend a majority of our time drill work. We'll start off doing it in slow motion every day. We call it perfect defense, right? And it's about five, six minutes. It's probably 60, 70% speed. Uh, 100% positioning, 100% talk, right? That's the first time we'll see some of these where we're going when the ball goes in. Then we'll always every day go 5 to 10 minutes of, of guard forward work and it's just coaches and a manager or two and just the two guards playing, the two forwards playing, kind of getting to your spots, drilling all these different actions, you know, what do we do when it goes from from the side? What is it what do we do when it goes in from the top? What do we do when it goes in and you have a corner? We you know drill all these you know different things every day and then You know, the last piece is coming together live. And a lot of that, see the next play is we do a Syracuse goes seven verse five. We actually added one to it and we go eight verse five. And it's chaotic, but a lot of it is. You know, we always say if you get a deflection, right, one of our rules is hands never drop below your waist. Well, if there's 50 guys on the floor, if you deflect the ball and we can go the other way with it, doesn't matter how many guys are on the floor. So a lot of those rotations and aggressiveness, they do come from that eight versus five drill.
2: Just to follow up on that eight versus five, are those eight guys free or are they like in spots? How controlled are the eight guys?
0: It's top, wing, wing, corner, corner, and then nail in both short corners. Okay. And they could put it on the floor. They could drive it, but they're not moving out of those spots. Okay.
1: Coach, just as we keep getting tactical here, maybe we can just quickly for everybody listening, go through exactly what the alignments are and maybe the quick slides yep. of the zone. And then we'll start digging in
0: from there. We start in the two guard front. After the first pass, you're almost never back in that two guard front alignment again. It becomes more yo-yo It almost 131 ish But to start, uh, we're going heels on the three, connected. We like, if we can, we like them to kind of give themselves a high five, a slap, kind of letting each other know like we're ready to start this possession, right? So those two start high and tight, arms out, no initial three as the guy comes across half court, which... You got to have some balls to really come across and take that shot, (laughs) right? So we don't see that one very often. And then no direct pass to the high post just right as they cross half court, right? So that's what they're thinking as the ball is being crossed. The goalie is easy. We call him the goalie because we say two things. One, no one wants to be called a five man or a center anymore. That's like sacrilegious to be called a five. So you're our goalie and we don't want to pull the goalie, right? You're the last line of defense. So if you start creeping up too high to that high post before it gets there, well then we're being exposed behind you and it could lead to quick layups, right? So that's our goalie spot is heels on the restricted chest on the ball. And he's got a really easy job position wise. He's always chest on the ball. He's almost like block bottom foot on the block. Heels on the restricted other bottom foot on the block. He's just moving with the pass. And then the forwards, they're kind of the unique part of the zone. They're super high and wide. Our court still has the volleyball lines, they're basically splitting that volleyball line in half with their butt facing the corner as they're positioning so that they can have like a high hand with that top top hand. And in their mind, they're thinking there is no way a ball is going to my wing and that guy's shooting a three, right? And then yep. their other responsibility is immediate three and no corner pass. And it's not you know like most zones where you're waiting for the guard to bump you. That's called our no shot, no corner bump. So literally, immediately we say the timing of it is you know, almost like you're throwing a punch, you're going top foot, top hand. You don't want to arrive too early because then you'll be out of there before the guy even catches it. So your your timing is you almost want to be able to touch the basketball on the catch and then you're pushing off immediately and you're throwing two hands high and now you're going at an angle so that you're now straddling the three. So there's no room to get the ball to the corner. Okay. And that's probably the most important bump of the whole zone because, you you know, it looks like the corners are exposed. We do have a fire. If it does get there, our goalie's always ready to fly out there and, and see the next play. But in a perfect world, the ball would never get to the corner.
2: Just to follow up. So... As it's going to the wing, he's not waiting for the guard to call him off. He basically stunts, and then he's out, and it's the guard's responsibility to then get his ass over there. Yeah,
0: Yeah, stunting out, and we're as, you know, almost like a 1960s boxer who would, like, be cheap and step on his opponent's feet. We're trying to like step in your foot space so that you're not even going to think into stepping into a shot. So it's not as much a contest in the high hand. It's also taking away any space. What you'll see happen as the game goes on is those wings, they start playing with their back to the sideline because they don't even think about, you know, stepping into a shot because there ends up being no space to shoot it if if our forwards are doing their job. Okay. Right. And Some of those things are not like that's like a, you give up a wing three, you're coming out right? We don't sub for turnovers. We let guys play out their shifts. When you're tired, you come out, but there's a couple of those non-negotiables where you're not giving up a wing three, right? If you're a guard, that simple wing to top pass, um, when you go from covering the elbow to shooting out to the high post, you better not stop short, right? We're okay with running that guy off the line and having him put it on the floor, but there's a few simple kind of non-negotiables that guys know that if I give up this shot, I'm going to spend some time on the bench for a little bit.
2: <laughs> Coach, with the guards, what are you requiring from them with their on-ball defense? Are they funneling anywhere? I noticed, too, your teams are really good at getting deflections, even stealing passes on the ball. So what are you teaching there?
0: We'll, we'll talk a quick rotation a little bit and then kind of yeah. how we, we line the, the handler up. So, so so let's say we come down and the ball goes uh, most every pass is that first to wing pass right? So the forward is that high hand, top mm-hmm. foot, no shot, no corner. On the flight, the, that ball side guard, he's running below the ball. We used to call it elbow ball, but now elbow would be if the guy's perfectly on the wing. You really just want to get below the ball. Okay. And we say anytime you're running in, your hands are out, right? And anytime you're running out, your hands are up. Right, So that guard quickly is running below the ball with his hand out, and that is to take away a quick elbow pass, or if that guy punches it real quick, he's going to dribble right into our guard. Mm-hmm. Right, So we're really trying to win every single one of those wing catches by the forward taking away the shot, the guard taking away a quick bounce pass or a quick strike to the elbow. Or if that wing thinks about driving it middle, he's going to drive right into our guard, right? So on your catch, you get a lot of like travels and, you know, I think I had something I didn't right now, after we go take that inside angle, kind of like that fish hook. Now we're really just lining the guy up. Okay, We're chest to chest. If you know, ball screens coming, we'll get to your inside hip and force you to use it and send it middle. But the forward is funneling the ball middle. He's not getting driven to the outside. The guard is trying to line that guy up and and be chest to chest with him. Okay. Okay. And same thing. Now the ball's on the wing. If you could picture it, our guard is on the ball, chest on the ball. Also, if we have smaller guys and we do it with most of our guards, once we arrive and take away the shot, we don't get into you and play low because we found balls were just getting thrown right over our head, right? That next most dangerous pass is down the floor to either the short corner or the high post. So we say, you know, take away shot and pop back. Okay. So we're not really in a stance. We're closing out kind of, you know, low and under control and and high hands to take away your shot. And then once we get you to like kind of raise and put the ball down, now we pop back a step and we're almost kind of like just shadowing the ball, kind of jumping jacks, probably everything against whatever say. (laughs) play low. We're not low at all. We're high and standing up. You know, you're also got about a foot and a half cushion on that guy. If he puts it down either way, you're going to be able to get there. So that's more how we play the ball. We don't get up and low and forearm on your hip. And then you just look over us, zip it to the high post, and then we're kind of in our scramble mode, right? But now when the ball's on the wing, that opposite guard is hand in front of the elbow right? We'll never break the plane of the elbow because then there's no way we'll be able to get back to the top Okay, take away three, right? So we're just kind of big and wide. On that one, we'll kind of attack your outside. We'd rather take away shot and force you right back to your partner who's now sprinting into the high post, than get driven around on the outside. So you are taking a little bit of an outside shoulder angle when you're closing out to the top to kind of funnel back middle so that you're dribbling right back into your teammate.
2: Are you worried about ball reversals at all? I mean, if you can funnel them back to your teammate, do ball reversals or getting the ball to the other side worry you at all?
0: A little bit. We'll try and our better guys are capable of doing this, take some work with, with some younger guys. But what we're supposed to be doing is throwing our hands up to take away shot. And then we throw our outside hand up almost to deter you from throwing the reversal. And you'd be shocked. You know, the kid Hayes was unbelievable at it. People would throw the ball right into that right hand and he would tip it and he'd offer a layup. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're, we're almost trying to freeze the ball on every catch. So on that wing, you go to shoot it, the forward's there, right? That ball goes wing to top. You go to reverse it. Well, here's our guard showing his outside hand. And if we can just stop the ball and get you to just freeze for a second, you know, like any defense, we're much better than if it's kind of going quick, 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 quick.
1: Yeah. Coach, kind of moving from like a first entry pass and back in your first slides, can we talk about a couple of spots or a couple of ways that teams try to bust a zone? Traditionally, the spots on the floor and then how you guys handle it. So I guess starting with probably the biggest one, which would be the high post catch. What are your thoughts when the ball does get to the high post the slides the movement steals all of that stuff
0: we are trying to keep it out I think that the longer we can keep it out of there the better for us but when it goes in our guards are getting we have boxes on our floor so we go see that yeah as it goes in our guards get to these boxes and they're actually facing the ball the way they stand out
1: I'm sorry for those of us listening to the podcast right now you drew a couple of boxes on basically the elbow. Extend it to the three point line
0: elbow out to the three. Right. And our guards are are thinking out and then our forwards are thinking down like and and this is on the flight. Right. If it's already caught and and you're moving, we always say, right. Any defense, it's really hard to be like going one way and then all of a sudden have to change quick direction and get somewhere else. And that's why those high hands are so important, because we don't mind it going to the high post as long as it's on like a, a lob. Right, mm-hmm. we don't want anything roped in there. We're all of a sudden like we're on our way to our box, and the thing's already in the high post. Right, so if you can picture it, if the ball's caught and it's on a lob, our fives playing them based on scout right? Sometimes we'll give the guy a step. Sometimes we call it a bum rush and really attack him and almost try and not even let him turn around. And then our two forwards drop to a step below the block. I mean, above the block, okay. we really have the whole court covered, right? We're trying to, you can play one-on-one with our five, you know, with some help from our forwards. Once the ball's in and being held there, we will match up. And that comes from communication, right? So we don't, our guys will cheat it at times, right? And guess, oh, I had the short corner. And then all of a sudden, mid-flight, the guy moves to the other side. It's why we mandate that they both have to get down First, but once you're the forward and you know the shorts on your side, or if scouting tells us ninety-eight percent of the time, you know, the short corner is always ball side, right? That makes it, you know, easy for our forwards. He's given a quick point to his partner, the other forward, as they're on their way down so that he knows that he can get out. And then he's bumping the guard on his side up to the top mm-hmm. and that other guards, and then essentially in man to man, right? But on any catch and quick throw out, we're gonna be like box box above the block, above the block. And we feel like everybody's one step away from somebody.
1: So you said you're essentially matched up, but are you actually, or is it just, you're trying to give the
0: impression you are? We are after probably a two second count. Okay. It's kind of being held in there. Yeah.
1: Not to give anything too secretive away. No, no
0: <laughs> we are 100% not in man to man. Okay. We drill all the time. We do a great job handling cutters and trading. If you're matched up to a guy and he runs to the other side of the floor, go ahead. Now you have two guys standing next to each other on the opposite corner and we can guard you with one person. We have simple trades off on cuts. We almost always keep our forwards low and our guards out. Our guards rarely, rarely, you know, we kind of tell them there's lava in there. You know, you don't want to go anywhere near the paint.
1: Okay. Just to stay on the high post catch for a second, what's a killer At the high post catch, like what are actions or what are things that, you know, maybe a quick one, two pass high, low that would kill it. But is there anything else that you're really concerned about once it gets in there? A
0: really good player. Yeah. That kind of take advantage and make plays from there. If that was the case, I don't know. Most teams, there's only a certain amount of playmakers. I found that people do that at times, but then we'll just make it harder for it to get in there We'll really be over the top on letting it in. And now you probably put a lesser player out on the perimeter who can't hurt us as much. So a good player that could play some one-on-one in there who can, you know, good passers Mm -hmm. from there. And then, uh, which would, have nothing to do with the other team or on us is if if we're lazy with our hands and you can really throw a strike into there now it makes it harder for us to rotate to our spots
1: just like to move to another spot on the floor that i know teams will try to attack against the zone and that's the short corners and kind of play out of there so i guess your rotations and your thoughts on the short corner catch
0: we've gone back and forth between trapping it and not trapping it we have not trapped the last two years reason initially it was like let's trap to try and create some turnovers and then we are creating enough turnovers without that that we kind of went away from it and then it makes it super simple on a short corner there we're almost again we're not going to chase guys out of area but we're matched up pretty perfect there because the opposite forward has the rim mm-hmm. for any dive the five man matches up to the short corner opposite guard that box is extremely important especially for the weak side guard right so on any short corner touch the opposite guard gets out to that box and he's kind of playing center field he's got any skip opposite wing or corner ball side forward has anything ball side and then uh ball side guard has top of the key. So if, if you can picture the court, you really have yeah. everything covered. You have the ball side covered, you have the top area covered, you have the rim covered. And then the steal we get a lot is when people try and throw it there and skip it because our opposite guard is already making his way that way to his box. And he'll just continue his run and go and steal that pass.
2: Is the five man, if he's guarding another center, are you fronting at all? Is there any sort of any of that as he makes his way You know, over and then gets to that short corner, you release. How do you approach maybe a post up?
0: Uh, They can't get lazy because they probably have the least amount of action, right? Especially when the ball's being moved they can't be lazy and just kind of lean on bodies like that would almost go with you know one of our rules of don't get screened he's got to position himself to be able to shed the post up and get there we, we rarely front we say play even with the post a lot of post against zone is like a quick duck in so we're almost going to try and step as you step and blow up that duck in and we just try and force the catch on the block or off the block mm-hmm. and then based on who the player is we'll do different things from there you know sometimes we will trap a post a lot of times we do what we call duking the post and everyone's just kind of like inside hand using their voice to kind of stunting at the ball, but we haven't been hurt a whole lot with post-ups, but where the, the most important part for the five man is, is keeping his chest on the ball in every pass, because if he gets a pass behind and then there's a quick duck in or there's a quick short corner, now he becomes two passes away from the play. So he, he's really just got to stay locked in and keep his chest on the ball. Okay. And most of the time, to be honest, if he's keeping his chest on the ball, it really takes away any, you know, everyone has a kind of interior trick play where you duck him in and sneak someone behind. And if his positioning is right, really, there's no angle to duck him in because he's really always just kind of chest on the ball just outside the lane. There's really nobody to duck in.
2: Another situation going back to the short corner with, let's say, the opposite 45 cut. Obviously, I'm assuming it's that guard who's in that box will pick him up. But how full is he then passing him off to the low forward? Uh, What's kind of the exchange there with a weak side
0: cut? The low forward is going to end up happening. So he just has rim. Uh Uh-huh. He has every cutter. Okay. So even if, you know, sometimes when people will have like a second cut, our guys just got to stay disciplined. He kind of sheds that first cut off with a forearm and then he can't chase that guy out. You know, there's sometimes a second one coming. That 45 cut, it would be the same thing. You just, you're responsible for the rim. Now the guard has to take a good angle on getting out because what could be good offense is we actually run a set that gets us this. That 45 cut runs into our guard Yeah. and then you skip it out. Yeah. So that guy, the guard can't just be like, uh, you know, sometimes that 45 cut, I know for us when we do it, he's really just a kamikaze diver trying to kind of suck people in so we can skip it out for a shot. So that guard's got to take a good angle, getting out, making sure that he doesn't just run into that cutter. Okay. He has no responsibility on the cutter.
2: And with that play, you mentioned when they send that yep. dive cut, are they lifting some or they're putting them putting a shooter into that 45 spot?
0: Shooter opposite corner. Yeah, okay. And then, you know, kind of lift them. Yeah. Or not, whatever the ball talks, like the best angle, you know, that the passer has to
1: Coach, the last one that kind of, I know there's a bunch of you know, areas that the zone can struggle against typically. But another one that I know a lot of teams will try to do is on ball screen yep. the top two guards to try to get some penetration into the middle. So how do you guys handle the top on ball screens?
0: We basically just label ball screens two ways for zone purposes. We call it inside or outside. Inside would be your you know more drag mm-hmm. additional wing ball screen. Outside would be you know a step up. Mm-hmm. So we'll go inside on that kind of wing to middle. It's really that's part of that tone get screened. Our ball screen coverage, our guards spend a ton of time. They know they don't have a hedge. It's almost amazing. It's almost like if if I were to ever coach man to man again, (laughs) They, they don't need a hedge. Like they just, they're attached to the ball. They're in the hip, they're physical. They're sending you to the screen. And then we're really just sliding hard in a straight line and then taking the best path, you know, to meet the guy on the other side. And it's, you know, sometimes you just slide straight and the screen never even Hit you, you know. I found a lot of ball screens against zones. They're they're way more predictable when they're coming. You know, a lot of times it's you know everybody runs the same play. Uh, run that corner through ball screen. To the middle with a weak side wing corner and a post up on the other side it's not a lot of trickery into them or screening into them because there's no one to screen into them right so we always know it's coming, and then it's on you it's, it's one verse two and you cannot get hit by that screen and really your only job is not let them reject it and don't let them shoot it right and if you really think about it one or two dribbles off that ball screen you're right into our next zone Anyway, which is our next guard, we we do a great job with with ball screens. You know, a lot of times, you know, against man, a ball screen causes you into rotation, right? You got to tag the roll, where there is no tag on the roll because he's rolling right into our five man. Or if he pops, you know, we always tell our guys, don't worry about, you know, we'll give you scouts. We'll tell you their plays. We'll give you calls. We'll just like everybody else. But if that guy pops, all that becomes is a a point to wing pass, which is the forward's responsibility not to give a point to wing three. The on ball stuff is send them to it, make them use it and then basically path of least resistance over under and, and that under is you know what we call a whip it's a hard under tight as could be you know at times even throwing that screener into his own man it's aggressive it's not you know three feet under And then on the outside is a little different. We will ice that one. So we're going to get on your top side, not let you use it and send you back middle to the partner. And then we'll do what we call a dribble tag. As he gets to the midline, they almost switch spots. That, That guard that was in the nail, he aggressively is flying out at you, almost trying to get you to retreat dribble. And now he has the ball and the guard that was on the ball, he now has high post.
2: Is that guard who's going to the high post going over or under? Then his partner, when that nail help comes
0: on the outside, the, uh, yeah, the outside, they're almost meeting, he's attacking the ball. So the guy on the ball naturally kind of go underneath him. Okay. It's like a hard ice, like back to the sideline, like, no way I'm letting you use this almost yeah. giving you a straight line drive to the middle. The one thing we say is we won't be total nail there. We'll be up a step we don't want to give a guy you know a good player can just take one dribble and shoot a three yeah right so we're like sending you middle on your first bounce we're like aggressively tagging out to you and then the guy on the ball will just go you know kind of loop right underneath you and have the high post okay um, now it's not always perfect there are times you know if you're going to get hit you're going to kind of bust your butt to either like spin or slide under and and meet the guy on the other side of the screen. But the other thing we work on a ton is what to do when the ball does get driven. So we work our quickie series like lane line drives, right? Where's everyone going when the ball gets driven down the lane line? And if you do get clipped on one of those outside ball screens, it really just becomes a lane line drive, which almost handled like a short corner touch. The five will pick up the ball. Yep. Yeah. Opposite forward drops, opposite guard gets out, you know, kind of a unique thing we do with that on guard ball that gets screened. We kind of peel switch it. Yeah, uh-huh. We basically never want two guys on the basketball.
2: On those outside screens, when you ice it, and they flip the screen does that give you any problems is it does the guard have to come over then earlier when they flip uh, an outside ball screen
0: yeah that's part of just you know seeing the next play it's going to be his responsibility as the ball gets to the center line regardless if there's a screen or not so he's always just ready to tag the ball okay. and we do that even if there was no ball screen like if good offense you know some people will try and almost dribble us out of our zones right? So they'll just kind of almost like drag the ball across the floor and we're not going to bite on it. You know, as you get center line, we're immediately making that dribble tag and we're switching who has the ball and who has the hype gotcha. versus dragging us. A guy at uh, Assumption, Mike Harding, it was actually a great set. He would spend as much time as it took to get to the ball to the corner and he would eventually get it there. And then he would dribble the ball out of the corner and flash someone from the weak side to the elbow and then go like quick high-low elbow short corner. So now we had to put in dribble tags from the corner. So on the second dribble, our guard is taking the ball and attacking you with the ball. yeah. And then the forward drops to his kind of short corner next responsibility. So, But it is good offense at times to try and drag us out and get us to chase so that you can kind of extend us even more than you are extended.
1: Coach, just for my clarification, so on the two pick-and-roll situations, when it's going towards the middle, which I think you would call it inside pick-and-roll? Yes. Those guards aren't switching. He's getting through and going under right yep
0: they'll switch again at the center line at
1: the center line but on the outside pick and roll they are going to switch on that ice and he's going to take the high yes. okay yep
0: and then it becomes you know it's the play that's probably the most common that everybody runs is inside ball screen and create a two-on-one on the weak side on your forward. But that play is so natural for us to guard because all that is is our no-shot, no-corner bump. Mm-hmm. Okay. People that play a 2-3 a little bit flatter, it's actually really good offense because you're coming off the ball screen. You know, right at the moment of that tag, you're throwing across to the wing and catching that forward in a pickle. So yeah. our forward's got to do a good job. He's chest on the ball a lot too right? So when it's on the wing, he's going to be chest on the ball, probably one step above the block. But as the ball is getting closer and closer to the middle, he's getting closer and closer to his starting position. So by the time that pass is made, all it is for him is, you know, it it was a set ran by the opposing team. All it is for him is a simple, no shot, no corner bump.
1: Okay. Coach, kind of last area with the zone is late clock, end of game situations. Does anything change for you philosophically of a guy that's going off on the other team you know man to man sometimes you can kind of deny a guy or double a ball screen but when you're in the zone it's harder to take a guy out of catching the ball a great player any thoughts in the zone on end of game stuff
0: i love it end of game because i find that and myself included guilty as charged i don't know if i have a a end of game zone set that i didn't run the prior 39 minutes and 40 seconds (laughs) right right like i don't know if like People see enough zone to just have this zone trick in their bag just in case they need it for for the last play of the game. So we turn actually two last year in Division Two back-to-back plays up three. And we don't foul up three, Uh, never have. But we were playing New Haven up three with maybe 25 seconds left. You know, they tried to skip a ball to a corner. We stole it foul. I think we missed the front end. They did the same exact thing to the other side, tried to skip it, steal. You know, we end up getting a lot of turnovers in that last 20 seconds of the game because it's a lot of times that's also something brand new that your players have never executed. Yeah. It's a different and I think that's part of the mystique of playing us. And we always tell our guys is like you could listen to this whole thing and and learn every slide and watch film. And you know, now you're putting your coaches and your walk-ons and trying to mimic what we do and you have a cute set or two to run, and then see it in full speed, and you kind of sometimes see this look on the opponent's eyes, like, this isn't the defense you just told us we were playing against. You know, it's, it's really hard to mimic.
2: Coach, quick tangent. Why do you not like to foul up three?
0: Because if the best thing we do is take away threes, I find it like my guys would look at me like I'm crazy if I said, all right, we're going to foul okay. because yeah. we don't want them to shoot great. three. Well, what do you mean? You just screamed at me the last... <laughs> I let someone shoot a three. So I'm just not going to let someone shoot a three. So I think philosophically, it just helps the mindset that we have of not to give up threes. And we're probably, I don't know, over the last five years, 10 to 12 and 0 in those situations. So if we get birth the next time and we're 12 and 1 on those situations, I think it's still a pretty yeah. good percentage in people of us. We also don't rebound great okay. <laughs> in full disclosure. And I don't think I'd be able to sleep if we fouled and the guy made the first, missed the second, and got tipped out. And we lost on a three. So I try to go with the play that we can't lose on as well. Like, okay, you make a three, we're going to overtime. There's no shot to lose the game yeah. by not fouling. And that's probably opposite of what ninety-nine percent of other people would say, but we're not losing a game that way.
1: What's interesting is sort of your philosophy on playing zone and then being so willing to kind of live with risk to get steals and and you know get out in passing lanes and, and whatnot. So I guess how do you kind of view risk on the defensive end in general, as far as wanting the guys to be active and go for steals, but then also not be overly aggressive and leave four on three, three on two situations everywhere?
0: Yeah, I think it starts with not getting too extended. If you gamble, you know, 35 feet out, you're a little bit more exposed than gambling like 18 to 20 feet out. So we do constantly, as much as we want to be aggressive, we don't ever really want to leave that ring. You know, if you go for, again, like I said, if you go for a steal and man and don't get it, it probably causes a lot more rotations than it would be versus us, right? There's always kind of like that next body. There's always someone at the rim. If we go for a steal on that wing to top pass, if we gamble for a steal and don't get it and you drive it down the lane line, well, that just becomes the lane line quickie that we've already worked on 200 times. But to be honest, you'll probably, one of the things I probably say the most if you were to ask my team you know pull them on you can make fun of coach what are a couple things that he says more than other things i constantly say just go where we tell you to go and they'll throw you the ball and a lot of it is not risk taking and not gamble it's everybody knows when the ball goes from the wing to the top that guy's next look is going to be down the floor to the top of the key Well, we're running if you're running to where the nail where you're supposed to go and you'll see it like our young guys sometimes they're shocked like they miss steals because a ball goes like right by their ear. Right. And yeah. There's like, the other thing I love about it is guys get better every year. Right. I don't know how many guys can get better at man to man, to be honest with you. Right. Like there's everyone has, uh, he could really shoot it, but we can hide, ah, you know, he's a, defensively. He's, you know, he's a nightmare and, you know, we'll figure out ways to get stops with him. Our Devin Jensen, a really good shooter for us. He's like master of the slides, right? I don't know who he would guard if we played man-to-man. I would say he went from being kind of a neutral guy on defense two years ago to actually a positive because you're just constantly doing the same three or four movements over and over and over again for four years. So if you can keep your players and have an older team, if you watch those Syracuse teams, as they get older, they're really hard to score on.
1: If I'm a coach listening to this and it's like, man, this sounds great. Let's do it. I'm going to play zone this year. Yeah. But- What's hard about teaching it? What are the things that like coaches need to know? Like everything, it takes hard work and practice, but what are the difficulties of if you're going to be really committed to running zone for, you know, most of the game?
0: I think it would start on the practice end of things, right? Since it is going to be new to someone, you know, the first time that the ball goes to the elbow and your forward forgets to drop and you give up a point blank high low layup, like go watch our first year. We gave up plenty of those Right. You can't like freak out because it's new to you and say, oh, this is the worst defense ever. We can't play it. We're just gonna give up layups. I think it's like anything, you gotta be able to stick with it and go through some of the growing pains. And if you're going to you gotta coach the effort, you gotta coach the activity, you gotta coach the hands. Because even if your guys are just kind of picking it up, you know, I always tell our guys there's no Like, we're not just going to be good at defense because we were good at defense last game, or, oh, we stand in these same five spots as we did last game. So that means we're automatically good at defense. Like, there's an effort level and a mentality that comes with it. And I think it's actually. The Knights were lazy and it happens, you know, like every team once or twice a year. It's worse than a lazy man because it's just so exposed and there's holes and hands are down. You know, one of the first, like if I give a live clinic and I do it with our team, or I actually will do this with our team if the hands ain't where they're supposed to be. I make them play against each other a position where no one's allowed to take their hands out of their pockets and then ask the offense, like how much of a joke was that to play against (laughs) Right. And then do it again with everybody's, you know, hands out and active and flying around. So, you know, coach some of those, you know, I I sent you some of those, you know, hands never drop below your waist, see the next play. Uh, Nobody shoots where they catch. And I think if you can coach those things and then you could have time to iron out the details, but that's a big one for us. Do something to not allow that guy to shoot the ball where he caught the ball. Okay. Right, And usually from that is, you know, a turnover or a tough two or a lot of good stuff happens just from not letting people, you know, step into shots.
1: Thanks for going down deep in the rabbit hole with us there on the zone stuff. We could probably keep going for another hour or two, but we want to move on and go to kind of a newer segment on the show that we've been having fun with. And it's called Over or Under. And we have overrated, underrated, but this is a little bit different. So Pat and I are trying to be, I don't know, some sort of odds makers on this over, under, but (laughs) we're just the lines. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know (laughs) how good we are or not yet, but we'll give you a basketball topic and then we'll give you a number based with that topic and you tell us over or under. Yep. Okay. So to start, over or under a post game speech, over or under five minutes for a post game speech.
0: Way under. (laughs) (laughs) Way under. (laughs) Those two nights a year that I talked about, those two nights, they're probably over. But for the most part, you don't want to um, say too much when there's a lot of emotions involved. So good or bad. And I I think if your team knows it's not going to be very long either way, right? We, We also don't. Sit there and for 25 minutes after a win and say, You guys are the greatest people ever to play a game. It's like, you know, we bring it in, we address one or two things. A lot of times it's the next day's schedule and just remove any emotion from it. It's like, okay, you know, we'll see you tomorrow, film at 11, we'll walk through LIU stuff at 12, you know, back at it. Now, in the meantime, between now and then, there's some film being watched and there might be a longer talk in the morning. I would say more like, three or under for me. Coach, how
2: much, and maybe this isn't really about the post-game talk, but how much does your view or opinion right after the game change or stay the same when you go and watch the film then that night or the next morning?
0: It's usually pretty similar. Okay. You know, there may be some details I thought I saw or there's been times I probably got on the wrong guy and you know it's your fault you gave up that and then I go back and watch it and it was like ah it actually wasn't his fault he made a good effort. So there's some probably details involved that I catch on film that I may not have caught live. But I think as a coach in your gut you usually have a pretty good sense of why you won or why you lost.
2: Did you feel was that something you developed over time as a coach, just you know, as you rep more games, kind of your understanding of seeing these big picture things of why we won or lost?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think every game every year every another 30 games it slows down a bit for you you know I, I remember my first year that first time out i was like holy shit was that eight seconds i didn't even get to <laughs> do anything right I, you just get a little bit more comfortable with you know everything that's going on around you the, the more games you're involved in like anything
2: okay coach over or under the number of minutes you'll spend five on zero offensively in a practice 10 minutes
0: under not much under we kind of look at it two ways. Like sometimes I, I know I, I don't love five on O, but some of it, there's gotta be some memorization. The best way to get someone to know a play isn't to draw it up on the board. They have to do it. You know, there's segments where it's a little more detailed and, you know, maybe call things out and we're looking for this, we're looking for that. But we like to do that more with defense. Our five on O is quick, just memorization, assistant coach on each side of the floor, five minutes on the clock, Mm -hmm. get through as much as our stuff as you can in, in the next five minutes. And then if there's guys that, you know, struggle, to remember things which we got a pretty good iq group we haven't had too much of that but you know we'll take the two young guys with three coaches maybe you know the next day before practice and go through some stuff but on the practice clock five six minutes coach
1: earlier in the interview you talked about you would do these perfect defensive slide mm-hmm. you know kind of visually so they could see it and you were talking about how they went 60 70 percent on those yep on 510 offense are you 60, 70%, 80%, are they going
0: 100% in 510 We'd like it to be 100. Okay. <laughs> you know, but we do have, it was my assistant, Phil Gaetano, he brought it, you know, he said, we do so well with this perfect defense, we should probably start doing some like perfect offense segments and, you know, walk through it for the first time and put two or three things in. I stole it from our football guys. We'll call it like an install day. Yep. But when we are going, I got to do a better job coaching it, but we would like hard cuts sure. and setting up. it's hard. I don't know. As a, To use your imagination and we could all say, ah, get open like Marcus Smart's guarding you. It's like, yeah, okay. You no, know, he's <laughs> not guarding. There's no one in front of him. So, you know, I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of practices. I haven't seen too many great dummy offense segments.
1: All right, coach, my next over or under, and the number here is also going to be 10, but it is Number of half court sets in your playbook over under ten for the season. Significantly
0: over. (laughs) (laughs) Significantly over. (laughs) I bet you there's probably eight to 10 to start the year. Mm -hmm. The card by the end of the year looks ridiculous. It's probably more like 40 to 50, but we're not running all those things by the end of the year. Now, a lot of this stuff is super, super quick hitting and it's all out of the two guard alignment. You know, some of it might just be literally one person doing one different thing. If you asked our guys, I don't think they're like overwhelmed by the amount of stuff we have put in. You know, I think it's just we're running this and we're running this punch. And that means we're going to throw it into Jordan Minor and post them. It looks like a lot if you looked at all the names, but it's fairly simple stuff.
2: Coach, as you move through a season and as you look at your playbook, how do you decide what needs to be maybe tweaked or changed and what needs to be just like, we got to get rid of it? It doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I think obviously what works, what doesn't by what you're scoring on and whatnot. But I think some of that is player driven as well. You know, I asked Mike McDonald who worked for John Beeline. We did a little two guard clinic with myself and him and Ted Hotan from New Haven, uh, Montana, former coach of Union College Division 3. And he said the two guard is great and everybody wants to know it and everyone wants to know this and that. And he said the best thing that Coach Beeline did is figure out in the preseason, how they were going to score, what each of his players were good at. And, you know, it's not the same stuff every year. Some years he's running guard through just to hit Karis LeVert off that slice cut and and post him for an ISO. And it's, you know, a lot of the same plays, but calling different guys numbers. And I think throughout a year, it's kind of who's playing well, you know, what works. You know, we thought it was going to be a good play for this guy to post. And after five games, maybe it's not. So just kind of watching and revamping and, and looking what's working and what's not working. But I think the biggest thing is, is putting your guys in position to use their strengths. Mm -hmm. We try and find a lot of mismatches. You know, we have a lot of kind of drive ISOs based on picking on a certain guy. And that, you know, obviously changes game to game.
1: Coach, you said you got, you know, a board behind you with all the names of the sets and whatnot. I'm interested in the organization of those plays. Do you have them organized by like the way they start, like set families? Do you have organized by shots for certain players? Do you have an organized by end of game situations? I mean, I guess, how is that? full bore organized
0: so it's and this is on my right that i'm staring at it's everything defensively that we want to guard in the order that you know just over time what's the most common stuff you know starting with the basic slides going to high post touch short corner touch penetration double high post inside ball screen outside ball screen mm-hmm. overloads etc right so that's kind of that this was early. It's not everything. It's just making sure the initial stuff got in and out of the two guard, there's basically three entries, right? So your most common that starts with hit the wing, corner cut or quickie it, opposite guard comes over for the catch, going into that pin down and really a lot of passes just to get to what we call a pinch and what most two guard, they call it the jungle, right? Elbow, wing, corner, right? So that's an entry for us. Then we have our guard through entry, which is, you know, slice screen, screen the screener. It's that, it's when the second guard, instead of receiving that second pass, he back cuts it and the five pops reverse screen the screener. And then the third entry is the center entry stuff, which is basically chin, mm-hmm. for lack of, you know, a better word. So those are our three entries. And then they're labeled two or three that kind of, I mean, everyone we play knows this. If we're going to bump that back screen, and go high road, you know, we may just call high, right? And that's just a simple switch up to the initial entry. So a lot of them are within those three families and they all kind of look the same to start and those are how they're all built, right? And then we have like a ball screen series. We do a lot of, we call it pound. We stack our four and five and just go shooters corner, corner. And we do some, you know, sometimes we just straight double horns it and kind of sandwich your point guard, but we do some different things out of that family as well. But, you know, mostly organized within those three two guard entries. Okay.
2: Coach, our last one for you. Over, under, the number is one and a half, and this is the, the number of paint touches you want on an offensive possession.
0: I don't really have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> can, we score, can we score before the paint touch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? We've got into, um, again, it was my assistant spent time with the main Red Claws, Coach Morrison, who's now with Brad with the Celtics, and he does, uh, they call it paint threats, now, again, I don't have a number on it. I'm going to mm-hmm. go, I can, actually, I can't push, because you added the hook. In. You <laughs> had to go in the hook. Yeah. We like to talk about more of the, the actual threat of the paint, right? So a, a good hard roll is the same as the ball getting in there. A good hard cut, running, you're laying hard in transition, anything that kind of sucks in the defense is our paint threat. So we're not talking as much about, you know, you have to get the actual basketball to the paint. We're talking more of what are we doing to shrink the defense, the threat of the paint. The numbers are unbelievable. I don't have of manpower, so we don't ever kind of follow through the whole year on it. The Celtics do, but we've done it in, in segments, and it's amazing the three point percentage on paint threat threes versus non paint threat threes, which you know, non paint threat three would be most off the dribble ones and kind of just swing shot for no reason. I mean, even the sheet I had, I could send it to you guys with like the year we had the Celtics, it was like a 40 game sample size, and they were like 1.3, 1.4 points per possession on paint threat threes and like 0.4 on non-paint threat threes. And we kind of would show that to our guys. And we'd also say, who's taking the non-paint threat threes for them? At the time, it was Kyrie. It was like, so you're talking about the best (laughs) players in the world are the only guys taking those shots anyway. And they're at, you know, 0.4 points per possession. So we like to kind of focus more on something that shrinks the defense and getting that paint threat. Although I've been watching a lot of Villanova and it's unbelievable. You know, Coach Wright's whole catch to shoot they don't even need a paint thread at times because they're like a simple swing catch shot. Their guys are always so shot ready that they make some that, most coaches would be like, I can't believe you just took a one pass three. But if you watch their players, they are always ready to shoot every time they catch the ball. So you know, they step into a simple swing shot the same way that everyone else in the world would step into like a you know, drive kick extra shot. Yeah. You know, they're just all ready to shoot. So we're exploring some of that a little bit in the offseason here.
1: Coach, if we were to tweak that question, say over under 1.5, I guess paint threats per possession, then how many are you looking for? Does that even matter?
0: Doesn't matter. I mean, I think if you can get that one good one. Uh-huh. The other thing in that in that study was it didn't really matter that there was like there wasn't that much of a correlation between how many were actually in a possession. It was just are you making the other team pay on that? Sure. You know, paint threat. Right. We could have a great paint threat and make the wrong read. So I, I'm not caught up on you know if we can come down and if we literally can drag and transition and that roll sucks in the defense and we can kind of hit the lift or hit the shake and and get an open three. I don't think there's any need to have a you know a second third paint threat. So.
1: Coach, you're off the over or under hot seat. Thanks for just throwing the last question out. We, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but for, uh, as we kind of wrap up the conversation here, first of all, thank you very much for your time today. This was a lot of fun.
0: I agree. It's goodbye.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> it really did. Just a question to close here and we asked this uh, to a lot of the guests, but what's one of the best investments that you've made in your coaching career?
0: I would say the best investment you could do is spend some gas money and go watch people practice and you know watch people that are actually good at what you want to be good at. Right? There's plenty of people that talk about the five out offense and this and that. Well, is their team good at that? Right. Like, you know, you want to learn some zone, we'll come watch us practice, watch Syracuse practice. You want to learn the two guard, we'll find someone that like actually runs it and and runs it well. Not us. We're not very good offensively right now. I think the best thing you can do is go and watch people live to you know, piggyback on that Villanova stuff. I've watched them two or three times live and you leave there like blown away. Some of of the seeing people live versus just kind of like clicking on a YouTube link is I couldn't even tell you a single drill we stole from from those. Workouts, it's just the way they do everything is like unbelievable. The way their players act, the warm up they do before their coaches are even in the gym. And, you know, I think getting around and seeing how different people do things firsthand, you know, Andy Tool was the same way at Robert Morris. He called it live TV. If you want to come in and watch anytime, you know, doors always open. And I think most people are like that, but I think that's the best investment. The, the year I worked for the Hoop Group, I was fortunate enough that the one year I didn't have a team that I was a part of. So I spent a lot of time. know driving around when i could and and watching others practice and i i think that's the best thing you can do and to be honest for, for younger coaches you also will meet some people that way once you put a face to a name anybody that's ever come and watched us practice if i get an email or call from that person like it usually leads to like an ongoing relationship as well so you know not only can you learn a lot from people but you also can kind of build your network
1: thank you so much for listening make sure to check out slappingglass.com and enter SG10 for a 10% discount on a Slapping Glass Plus membership. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet to this thing? I have like Slapping Backboard, <laughs> Slapping Glass. Slapping Glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Well,
0: <laughs>
2: slapping Glass.